we have heard a joyful sound. Matt's going to play for us. joyful sound Jesus saves spread the tidings all around Jesus saves bear the news to everyone uh, so far in our service and um, yeah it's a joy to welcome you thank you for joining with us I'm Bob one of the leaders of the church here and please be in prayer for Tim and uh, Beth and the family they move up tomorrow and as we've heard, the induction service on the 18th of January. Let me ask God's blessing upon our time as we look at his word together this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask and pray that we would hear the voice of Jesus through your word this morning. Amen. Having goals in our life is a good thing. I'm not one for New Year resolutions. They tend to last about mm, 10 minutes. Um, but I do believe in having goals, goals for my life. I've shared some of my life goals with, um, obviously, Cheryl and, and, and my family and also with the elders. For, I do believe in accountability as well in regards to that because it's right that you should ask, how are you going? How are you achieving what you prayerfully believe the Lord is calling you to? We also believe, as leaders of the church, that having goals in our church life is a good thing. And one of the things that we do periodically as a group of elders and deacons is to meet together throughout the year. Not We meet at the beginning of the year and also at the end of the year. We met in October last year to look back and to also look forward. And there were three goals that we prayerfully felt as leaders of the church that God was calling us to. Tim was fully involved in that process, although at present he was involved in all the correspondence, and I have had ongoing conversations with him, and he's fully aligned with this. Didn't, we didn't think it was right and fair to say, we've thought these three goals for you, Tim, here you go, here's a horse to ride. But we did work with him on the building of these goals, and they, they, they are the three goals that we have. Number one, mission. We want to talk about mission this year. We want to think particularly about passionate workers being raised up from among us and being sent out by the Lord into his harvest field. That's the text that you have on the screen behind you, Mark, Matthew 9, 38, which we'll be looking at this morning. The second one is ministry, where we do feel the Lord is calling us to be expecting him to do great things among us in 2020. We do want to expand the ministry, we're possibly thinking about expanding the facilities in which we're looking at. We're looking at this evening on Isaiah 54 verse 2. So if you're around this evening and would like to hear what we believe the Lord is calling us to do, uh, that'll be looking at this evening. And the third is money, mission, ministry, money. So sending people into the mission field, expanding the ministries in this church comes at a financial cost. And the gospel teaches us that money is a spiritual matter. How we relate to our money is a spiritual matter. It's as spiritual as your prayer life. How you relate and how you use the money the Lord has given you. So we want to talk about next Sunday morning, generous giving. 
So it's mission, passionate workers, ministry, supernatural growth, and money, generous giving. As I say, what I want to do this morning is look with you at goal one, which is in Matthew 9. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Mission, specifically Jesus' mission, is rightly part of the DNA of any gospel church and rightly part of our church. And by the way, can I just have a show of hands? Who's on the mission team? Okay, that's the wrong answer, by the way, as we'll see. The mission team do lead us and serve us well and they keep us informed. Matt mentioned about the prayer uh, focus this month is for Cliff and Ali. But it has been a growing conviction of us on the leadership team that in order to keep in step with the Spirit, as he leads us, that our focus should be increasingly on people who we know who are considering and some have already answered God's call to serve him in a full-time capacity in his harvest field. Let me share some names with you and I'm going to invite one of them up to come and share how they believe the Lord might be leading them. Here are the names, Pete and Libby Hailstrap, John Bass, Ben Day, who's also been with us this morning and read God's word to us. Some of us will remember Brian and Jackie Chilvers. Jordan Lowe, Matt Malone, met Matt this week in Costa, he's gone back now to Albania to complete his studies at the uh, Bible College over there, he's also got engaged by the way over Christmas um, and it's exciting to see how he's got a passion to see how the Lord might be leading him, he's very open to where the Lord might be taking him, Matt Malone, Ryan Lowe, Abby Day, Matt and Deborah Stratton, Tim and Beth Diafer, to name but a few. Abby, come and share, please. You've got half an hour. No, you haven't. You've got two minutes. Go, go. go, girl. Tell us how you feel and what, you do, what your plans are, what you're going to be doing. Yeah, so I'm going to the Hub Conference next weekend. I'm very excited about it. What's the Hub Conference? And what else are you doing? Oh, I'm going to Cape and Ray. You're going to Cape and Ray? Yeah, that's in April. And that's coming. Would it be right to say that you're open to how the Lord might be leading you for the rest of your life and what his call on your life is? So let's join with Abby and pray that God makes his will for this girl crystal clear. Thank you ever so much. So as I say, there are some of the people that we know and love personally. and There are others that I could have mentioned, but I haven't. And, and what's exciting to us as leaders is that these guys are making themselves available to be sent by the Lord of the harvest into his harvest field, which is a joy and a privilege for us to be part of that ministry and that calling on their lives. But this text that we are looking at this morning is Jesus' call for each and every one of us to be fully involved in his mission on mission with Jesus, there is no greater privilege that you can have to be on mission with Jesus. No greater privilege in your life. There is no higher purpose for your life 
than to be on mission with Jesus. And I would also say that there is no greater pleasure than even, even when the wolves attack, and attack they do, as we'll see in 1016, you won't get there this morning, there's no greater privilege, there's no higher purpose, and there's no greater pleasure than to be involved in mission with Jesus. Three things I want to show you from this text this morning, and they are, one, Jesus invites us to see what he sees and to feel what he feels. Number two, Jesus commands us to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. And number three, Jesus expects us to be willing to be the answers to our own prayers. So let's work through the text. Jesus invites us to see what he sees and to feel what he feels. He invites us to see people in their great need. Look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Harassed people could be translated distressed people or troubled people. When Jesus saw people, even with a smile on their face, he knew that deep down in their soul they were harassed people. Some of them may have worn their heart on their sleeve and you could see that they were heartbroken. I know looking out in this congregation how many heartbroken people. I know some of the heartbreak that some of you are experiencing. Harassed people, distressed people, troubled people, helpless people. They were harassed and helpless. means they were dispirited. Literally means they were thrown to the ground people. Sometimes life gets so hard, you literally feel thrown to the ground. They were harassed, they were helpless, they were shepherdless people. They were vulnerable people, they were lonely people, they were lost people. So let me ask you, as you see people in your workplace, as you see people in Tesco's, as you see people at the school gates, as you see people on the train, as you see your neighbours in your street, what do you see? When you look at people, what do you see? Do you see them through Jesus' eyes? Let me ask you another question. How many people do you know who are not, in some degree, troubled people? Can you make a list of people who you know are no distress, no trouble, no shadows on their horizons, no pressures, no stresses? How many people will be on your list of totally happy, harassless, helpful people? How many? None. None. We're all to a degree troubled people, are we not? And everybody we look at in some degree is a troubled person. How many people do you know who are not in some degree dispirited or depressed people? Let me ask you another question. How many people have you seen who do not need Christ to be their shepherd? It just struck me as I was walking my, my dog over the Christmas break in preparing this, walking through the streets and all the rest of it, and 
sometimes you go through, it depends upon where you go in, in, in the town in Flitwick, there's all sorts of types of houses, housing estates, and some people have got big, great big detached mansions, some people have got um, little tiny cluster homes. There isn't a home that I'd pass that I said, the people living there don't need Christ. They do. Even if I go past the home of a Christian, you need Christ. So Jesus invites us to see people through his eyes in their great need. He also invites us to not only to see their great need, but also the great urgency. He changes the metaphor to the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. So he's seeing a growing crowd of humanity that are harassed, helpless, shepherdless people. And he also feels the burden of the great shortage, but the workers are few. What Jesus is doing here by using the metaphor of the plentiful harvest, he's telling us that their greatest need to be met is an urgent matter. The harvest is the harvest at the end of the age. People need to know Christ before they go to their grave. People need to know Christ before he returns. And he feels the burden of that. He feels the weight of that. He feels the huge responsibility of that. So I ask us, do when we look at people, this is a prayer, I guess. Lord, please give us eyes to see people through your eyes. And also to see that their time on earth is running out. See them in their great need, but also see the great urgency and the great shortage of labourers, which I'll come to in a moment. So Jesus invites us to see people in their great need. He also invites us to feel his great compassion for them. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He was literally moved with compassion for them. It means his heart went out to them. It literally means putting it putting it bluntly in the language of the, of the Greek New Testament, his gut, his bowels were literally turned over for them. He felt the agony of their need in his gut. It literally was for him to look at people in their great need, literally gut-wrenching for him. He was so deeply affected by what he saw with his eyes that he was compelled, moved deeply by the most powerful emotion stirring within him to help them. Now I assume that we all know something of the heartbreak and the compassion we feel towards a suffering loved one. I, I think there's a, there's a unique sense of gut-wrenching heartache when we see someone we deeply love suffering is there not if you have a child who is suffering your heart goes out to them does it not of course it does if you see your spouse suffering and you long that you could do something but you feel help, powerless and helpless your heart is moved your gut is turned over for them 
And we feel, do we not, drawn and driven to help them. And, and, and many of us, I think, when we look at the suffering of a, dear, of a loved one, we would be willing to take their place if that were possible. Would we not? Would we not? I, I guarantee as I look out into the eyes of parents and grandparents, husbands, wives, brothers, when you see a suffering loved one, I know that you would willingly take the place of the, your suffering loved one if you could, would you not? Of course you would. And I do believe that this compassion is a gift from God as part of what it means to be made in his image. But I would want to stress that to feel the same degree and depth and intensity of compassion for total strangers is, I would suggest, a supernatural gift of the Spirit. So therefore, let me invite you to ask Jesus to see what he sees and to feel what he feels and to give us something of the supernatural gifts of the Spirit to see people through his eyes and to be moved with compassion for them with his heart. And secondly, Jesus commands us to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. The harvest is plentiful, 37, 38, ask the Lord of the harvest, but the workers are few, ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. I just want to walk through this prayer with you. Ask, ask. It literally means to beg. It literally means to plead. It literally means to cry out. It means this is asking is fired by a passionate and desperate petition to meet their greatest need. It's tragic, is it not? And heart-moving, is it not, to see what is happening in Australia? It's not just that Australia is burning and incinerating. It's that people are dying. People are desperate to get out. You just look at on the news and you see their faces. They've lost everything. And we feel, do we not, moved. And we do pray, God, give them rain. God, it, it looks like... I said this to show, watching the news. You see those planes flying over. You see the volunteer fire force squirting a little hose on a massive firestorm. It's almost like taking a thimble full of water and throwing it into a furnace, hoping that's going to put it out. It's just hopeless. And therefore, to see people in the way Jesus sees them will drive us to beg, to plead, to cry out. Ask the Lord of the harvest. It means that the harvest is not an impersonal seasonal event. It is an event, the harvest is under the sovereign control of the Lord. It's the Lord of the harvest that we're appealing to. The sovereign king of all. And therefore by using this analogy I would press that Jesus is linking the salvation of the lost to his glory. I think the New Testament, I think the Bible makes it crystal clear. The most God-glorifying thing God does is save sinners. So he's linking their salvation and his glory when he urges us and commands us to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out. It's a very powerful phrase. It means to be driven out. It means to be thrust out. 
it carries literally the connotation of violence. To be sent out means get out, go. It is so to be so compelled by the Spirit of God in a person's life that you become fully and totally at God's disposal, whatever the personal cost. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, literally farm labourers. How many of you watched the documentary um, Yorkshire Farm? I love that programme. I love that. Pro- that I mean, that, that, that the shepherd and his wife, the shepherdess, they've got, they've got an army of kids. I mean, she delivered the, their own, the, the youngest child on her own. The, the, the husband woke up at four in the morning and there was another baby. She delivered the baby herself. But the work they put in on that farm, massive thousands of acres, the work they put in. I also like watching this farming life. Now, watching these workers giving themselves to back-breaking labour at all hours of the day and night, in all weathers, stirs my admiration from the comfort and warmth of my front living room. (laughs) Wow! Gospel work is hard work. Gospel work is farm labouring work. Gospel work is not nine-to-five work. Let me tell you something else. Gospel work is never boring. Never boring. Often hard, often tiring, often socially hours outside of the comfort zone stuff, but it is never boring. Into his harvest field. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Whose harvest field? His harvest field. When Jesus aligns the world he says it is his harvest field the world is his harvest field which means amongst other things that he is committed at this the lord of the harvest whoever he sends out into his mission field he will meet all of your needs that's what he says in chapter 10 verse 10 he will meet all of your needs all of your financial needs all of your emotional needs all of your spiritual needs all of your practical needs he will, as the Lord of the harvest and one of his workers, will make sure that you are fully provided for. You will lose nothing. And he will keep you through all dangers, chapter 10, verse 19, because he is your shield and your exceeding great reward. Because gospel work is hard work, never nine to five work, never boring work, but you're never alone in it because the Lord of the harvest is with you in the harvest field. So let us passionately obey Jesus' command, particularly in this week of prayer and throughout this year, that we would ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And the third thing is that Jesus expects us to be willing to be the answers to our prayers. Verse 37 of chapter 9, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Chapter 10, 1, Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and illness. It would be reasonable to assume 
though not recorded, between what we know as chapter 938 and chapter 10, verse 1, that the disciples obeyed the Lord and prayed. When Jesus said, ask the Lord of the harvest, I think it's reasonable to assume that that moment they prayed. Lord, please send out labourers, workers, into your harvest field. I think that's a reasonable assumption. I know the argument from silence is a dodgy one. Where do I, how do I substantiate that? I get that because what, hap- what chapter 10 verse 1 teaches us is that they in part become the answers to their own prayers. They, they were urged to pray by the Lord of Harvest. I'm assuming they prayed. And then they became the answer to their own prayers. He called them to him. I think that's something we need to grasp. It's a tempting thing to pray, Lord, send anonymous workers into your harvest field. But I think this passage would urge us to be willing to be the answers to our own prayers. I think there is a divine discipleship principle here for us all to embrace. And and I'm particularly focusing upon those who would say that they are disciples of Jesus, Christians. There is, a, there is a Christian principle, there's a discipleship principle. In fact, Matthew, the whole gospel of Matthew is Jesus making disciples who will make disciples and reach the world for Christ. That's the big takeaway from Matthew's gospel. So what does it mean actually, practically speaking, in this particular context to be a disciple of Jesus, that we, as his disciples in 21st century, want to be. To be a disciple of Jesus means very literally to be obedient to him. At, At its basic, a disciple is someone who obeys Jesus. At the core of your being, you own Jesus as Lord. And when he commands something, you do it because you want to do it not earning your brownie points, not earning your salvation, you are saved. And one of the marks of saved people is they obey. They delight to obey. They want to obey. So, Jesus commanded us and them to pray. And so we pray. And we pray specifically that the Lord would raise up, send out, workers into his harvest field from among us that what it means to be a disciple to be obedient to him jesus commanded prayer and so we pray so far so good yeah and to be a disciple of jesus is to be available to him not just obedient to him but actually available to him notice the progression that, Mark, that Matthew draws out here. Jesus called his disciples to him. He commanded them to pray, 9.38. Then he called them to him. They, he, they made themselves, as disciples, available to Jesus. And he called 
his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority. And then he sent them, chapter 10, verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out. So to be a disciple of Jesus means that we obey him, we're available to him, we come and hear what he's got to say and then we go wherever he sends us. Therefore, to be a disciple in this church, a disciple of Jesus Christ in this church, means that you are therefore a worker in his harvest field. You want to obey him? You want to pray the things he tells you to pray for and be willing to be the answers to your own prayers by making yourself available to him. Therefore, we are workers in his harvest field, serving on the multiple front lines of his harvest field, be that work, home, community, our friendship groups, etc. And I would push you on this. We are either not just workers on the various mission fields of our life, which is part of his harvest, but we are also either sending and supporting with our prayers, with our conversations, with our encouragements, and with our money, the, the Lord, those that the Lord has raised up from among us and is sending into his harvest field, even to the ends of the earth, wherever the Lord calls them, we're either sending and supporting them with our prayers, our conversations, our encouragements, and our money, or we are being sent ourselves, like the people I mentioned at the beginning of the service. Therefore, if we are not serving, or sending, or being sent, according to this passage, we have no right to claim to be a disciple of Jesus. That's a bit radical, isn't it? That's what the text says. We're either serving on our mission field and supporting those he's sending or being sent ourselves or we have no right to be called a disciple of Jesus. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Being on mission with Jesus, as I say, as I close, there is no greater privilege for your life than to be on mission with Jesus. There is no higher purpose for your life than to be on mission with Jesus. There is no greater pleasure and no greater security, ultimately, to be on mission with Jesus. And from this text, we've seen that Jesus himself invites us to see what he sees and to feel what he feels. He commands us to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And he expects us to be willing to be the answers to our own prayers. So, may the Lord of the harvest increase the temperature of our passion and our wholehearted availability on his mission for his glory and their joy in his harvest field this year. One last question, and we're going to pray, and we're going to sing. Hands up if you're on the mission team. That's the right answer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for speaking to us from your word this morning. We ask and pray in Jesus' name that it would please you 
to raise up and send out from amongst our own number, from this church this year, workers into your harvest field for the joy of those who do not yet know you and for your everlasting glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have heard a joyful sound. Jesus saves. Please stand with the music as you're able. <laughs>